everyone, and welcome to Portalcast, a podcast dedicated to discussion of Avatar The Last Airbender and The Legend of Korra. Uh, so we are here for episode five, and uh, tonight, uh, actually, we're recording in the evening. Usually we record in the afternoon, and this is kind of a little, it feels a little bit like a throwback, because we used to record the old podcast like really late at night, uh, hence the time my dad came down and was like, Go to bed! You're done! <laughs> Which, John, John, you were there for that, weren't you? Oh, yeah. Some good times. <laughs> Stuff of legends. So I am here, uh, of course, uh, first with John. What's up? <laughs> and then I am joined again by Abigail. Hello. Uh, so this week we're going to be talking about uh, a character in particular. So past couple we've been talking about episodes, and this time we really wanted to uh, dive back into our kind of character centric episodes and this one we're, we we uh, and in this one we're talking about avatar roku um so in preparation for this we watched a couple episodes um the second half of the winter solstice episode where avatar roku first speaks with ang um and then the avatar and the fire lord from book three and uh then the clips from the old masters where uh, Roku kind of briefly talks with Aang uh, to give him some advice. Uh, so yeah, I want to just first kind of get into this. Um, uh, one of the favorite things I love hearing is what it was like for uh, you guys to revisit uh, and kind of see this character through a new lens. And also, you know, having seen the whole series, the context of seeing seeing him. So I don't know. What was it like for you guys? I definitely see him more like an Obi-Wan-like character, um, you know, back when I first watched it. I mean, Roku was a thing, but I never realized, you know, in the grander scheme, just how important a character he was. And going back through these episodes, I mean, he's pretty much the one who sets in motion the whole, you have to learn all the elements before the comic comes. So it was, um, it was interesting to kind of watch it again and just see how important he is to the series. It really, it's really nice because um, it reaffirms kind of Aang's stance on not wanting to kill or not wanting to be violent in a way because even though he has to do it and he still knows he has to do it, Roku kind of shows him that and reaffirms in him that people are essentially good. And they do bad things, but they're complex people and everyone has their own story. And you can't see people as just one thing. Yeah, that, that's one of the. That's a really cool part about uh, his character, and I mean, I really want to dive into that episode in particular, um, uh, in just a little bit. But for for this part, I, w- I want to first talk about the point you brought up, John, about um, him being this figure who puts Ang on this trajectory. We kind of talked about in the episode about uh, King Boomy about this idea of him being a gatekeeper. And there's the uh, premise in uh, the writer's journey um, or kind of like the the hero's journey. journey. The writer's journey is the book. That's what I'm thinking of. So the traditional uh, hero's journey is kind of like the the template for so many uh, famous stories. I mean, so for anywhere from Star Wars to Avatar to... I mean, it's 
the premise and it, it kind of finds its original roots all the way back to uh, Homer with uh, the Iliad and the Odyssey. Um, but the reason I said the writer's journey is that Christopher Vogler, um, he's this incredible writer who wrote this breakdown and kind of goes into depth about the hero's journey. And uh, one of the important figures is the threshold guardian. And, uh, you know, I think that Roku is absolutely that type of figure. I think Boomy is a little bit to a degree, but I think it's so amazing that you brought up that point about him being very much like Obi-Wan because in Star Wars, uh, A New Hope, Obi-Wan is the threshold guardian who's kind of, uh, or like the old master, um, who's kind of there to kind of bring him onto his next phase of his journey and be with him and plays a vital role, you know, kind of later on in the series. Or He's later also on a ghost. <laughs> also Ooh, spooky. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it was weird how Roku told Aang to use the Force. I didn't really get that part. <laughs> As Aang was going down the uh, Fire Nation uh, tunnel line, he had, he had to fire two fireballs into the exhaust port <laughs> to defeat the Fire Lord's uh, Death Star. <laughs> By going into the Avatar stage. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I love that you brought that up um, because there are so many similarities to that. Um, but, John... Uh, I don't know. I mean, from what you remember when we were, when you were first watching through uh, the show, did you remember any first impressions that you had of Avatar Roku when you were first watching it? I was like, this guy has a really weird voice. Like, I always wanted to be able to do an impersonation of Avatar Roku, but I could never get the voice down. (laughs) It's a tough one. I think you have to smoke, like, so many cigarettes. Like, an absurd amount of cigarettes. <laughs> like the the one line Roku said that always sticks out to me is, "Come on, Aang, we have a party to attend," or something like in um, the Avatar and the Fire Lord. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just imagine them like going to like an actual like trash party and like getting <laughs> wasted. <laughs> You're wondering why I got my voice the way I did. <laughs> it's just like it's just Roku just chain smoking in the yeah. corner. <laughs> Here, yeah, that, that was the one thing ball. about him um, that stuck out to me back then was his voice, and um, I never really gave much thought to his role to Aang. I just always thought of it as kind of, well, that's just Aang's past life. Uh, I'm more focused on Aang. <laughs> mm-hmm. So while we were in the midst of discussion, uh, Kristen actually was able to uh, join us in. So hello, Kristen. Hey, Colin. <laughs> Um, so yeah, uh, basically, uh, Chris and we were talking a little bit about, uh, Avatar Roku, um, just your initial first impressions of, uh, revisiting, uh, these episodes. So as far as the introduction episode went, it was kind of interesting because he is, you know, naturally he's a bit of a cryptic character that we learn a little bit more as we go through the series. Um, and he's always making very cryptic statements like, oh, you're here to correct my mistakes and, you know, this is my fault and stuff. And you're like, what did you do, Avatar Roku? Mm. Um, but, of course, he, he does have that very strong, like, um, wise mentoring, like, um, I guess, presence about him. You know, he is trying to help guide Aang. Uh, throughout the series and at the same time um, I know we were focusing on um, where he's introduced for the solstice but my strongest impression of him is where he meets 
Jung Jung and he tries to force Jung Jung to teach Aang oh. and that's the first like very human emotion you get from him where he's not this all-knowing wise avatar where he actually makes a mistake in trying to force Jung Jung into giving Aang firebending training early because he does feel that pressure from his mistake and you can see him kind of like faltering a little bit like oh I have to hurry up and clean this up to the point that he really kind of presses Zhang Zhang into that very unjustly when Zhang Zhang was right and wasn't ready. Mm. So, you know, your first impression is this very like sage-like wise avatar who's very repentant about an obvious mistake he made that you don't know about. Mm. But at the same time, you know, he does remind you that the avatars are human mm. <laughs> and they can be, you know, they can mess up essentially. So it, he's a, he is an interesting character. Um, and I think probably my favorite part about him is the fact that he's probably the most human seeming avatar. Cause the other ones we don't get into too much. Like Kiyoshi is the only other one we really see much of, but you know, for the most part, it, it, he does kind of help represent like that balance between the very wise and all knowing avatar and the fact that they are human, they make mistakes and they, they live very human lives for the most part. And that's where Aang struggles later, especially when he's trying to open his chakras, is they are very human. And sometimes there's only so much an avatar can do. They're not perfect. Mm -hmm. That's such a good thing. And I love that. It's such a good trope is kind of the sage advisor kind of showing flaws. Like, I think Dumbledore for sure has that. Mm. In Harry Potter, Gandalf has it. Lord of the Rings. And I think it's super important for the hero's journey to see that humanity, even in that person you're putting all your trust in. Yeah. And it's interesting. We were uh, talking about uh, Obi-Wan. Uh, so Kristen earlier, John br brought up the point that there's like kind of these uh, similarities between Roku and Obi-Wan. And, you know, we see more of that context that normally we saw in like uh, characters like Gandalf or Dumbledore later on in the series, we actually get out of Obi-Wan in the prequels because we understand it's almost kind of like the flashbacks um, that we see of Roku in the Avatar and the Fire Lord. You know, it, there's a lot of similarities. I don't know. The more I think about it too, it is kind of crazy how there's a lot, a lot of those similarities. Again, well, when he gave Aang that lightsaber, it was like, <laughs> it just really struck me. I mean, well, Avatar it, is Star Wars. <laughs> I mean, think about it, though. I mean, I, I feel nothing but nerdiness. Like, actually, we just watched um, one of the Korra episodes, and they were going through a drawer, and they saw a book that had, like, a Bruce Lee picture on, like, the front of it. And it's one of those things that reminds you that as fantastic as the story is, it was very earth-based people who wrote it mm -hmm. and very much people who love that like nerdy fantasy sci-fi genre. And it's kind of fun. That's what's fun about it is we can, the things that we love, we can feel that in the story as well. So as much as it's an original story, we can kind of feel some of those really fun stories we grew up with in it too. Oh yeah. And it really goes back to one, one of my favorite, um, the, kind of uh, bits that Tolkien wrote about uh, was the idea of this stew. And it's the idea of just you're throwing in these ingredients from all throughout, you know, cultural history kind of tying in. Um, it's actually taking bits out of the stew. That's right. Yeah. Sorry. sorry to correct you. But <laughs> no, it's, thank you. It's, it's taking like 
it's saying that all fantasy genre is this big stew and as storytellers we have the opportunity to take our favorite bits out of the stew and make our own and make our own story with those yeah i I always get it backwards like that so you have me for yes some ways it makes sense when you're writing a story you're taking bits and pieces of the ingredients and you're trying to get just the right blend just the right flavor that you imagine in your head so technically it does work both ways Mm -hmm. yes yes very true i so i i really want to dig into that moment that you brought up um from the deserter i i can't believe that i forgot that but that is such a potent moment where you know Roku does force his hand and intervene. And like you said, Aang clearly was not ready. But it also kind of shows now more with the context of knowing Roku as a full character, his kind of desperation of, you know, it's like this might be the only chance to be able to find like a teacher, uh, you know, to actually (laughs) make this happen. Yeah, because everybody else is the enemy. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I want to I want to dig into uh, especially in the Winter Solstice episode, um, especially the idea of Roku presenting presenting himself to Aang, um, like in that very kind of ethereal, cloudy type of world to really tell him, okay, here is your destiny. This is what you need to do. Um, and really setting the tone and setting the stakes for the rest of the story. Uh, we touched on this in the Boomy episode saying that, you know, Boomy is like the world has changed. There's so much that you need to know. It's like, you know, this is a whole different ball game than what you were used to. And then Roku refining that and saying, okay, here's what you really have to do. And you have now a time limit to get it done. So... What I actually kind of find fascinating about it is I don't – so what I'm curious about is I don't know if as a, in a way as a spirit because after they pass on, the avatars obviously live as spirits for the avatar. But he, he says it very decisively like he knows what Ozai was going to do. So I'm almost kind of curious because it seems like, you know, Sozin naturally his goal was – not for it to be a hundred year war was just for him to conquer the rest of the world and be done with it. Mm. Um, but it does seem like throughout the series, a lot of ancient knowledge since the beginning of the war has been lost. And especially in the fire nation where knowledge is extremely restricted and a lot of people like even, you know, um, Zuko not knowing he's related to avatar Roku. Like there's so much restriction of knowledge. It makes me kind of curious, like, how he even knew that it was going to come again in a hundred years, how he knew that they had that backup plan. Like I'm, I'm almost a little curious and I know it's only something that we can kind of like guess at, but I always found it interesting that he knew in concrete, like the comet's coming, Ozai is going to use it to finish the war and, and win and you have to do something. So it is it is a little strange for me because it was such a concrete thing. That's true. I think, I don't know. It depends on how much, like, this was just solely Sozin's discovery or if it was something that maybe Roku had come across in his natural life as well. Hmm. Um, I know the library was probably destroyed when Sozin discovered that or maybe he thought of it later and sent people back to destroy it in his stead. I mean, there's just, 
we don't know like how long that information was available to everyone and it could have been available to Roku well, before it, he died. Right? There's there's also the idea too that I think Roku maybe consulted with past avatars mm. who could have said well, that you know he, you know hey like this is something that happened because you know it I think what makes Roku such an interesting character too is that you know I think we we do see it in Kyoshi but I think like Roku is at the apex of I think the avatar's power. And I think in the sense that he was fully trained, he got, he basically went through all of the, you know, rituals and processes. He was, uh, you know, doing this during a time of peace. So he was able to like learn extensively and, you know, really tap into the avatar spirit. If you think you look at Aang and Korra, so much of their avatar journey was like kind of, it was like out of, like necessity that they had to do a lot in a very short amount of time. It makes more sense, obviously, for storytelling, but I think for Roku, stakes. Yeah, absolutely. And for Roku, I think he just had that time. That's the way I always felt is that he, you know, more than any other avatar, was like, okay, I know how to tap into all of these past lives. I know how to use the four elements in such a you know devastatingly powerful way, but he still exercised restraint. Um, but I don't know. That, that's a really good point. And I guess we'll kind of put that to listeners. So uh, if you guys have any thoughts on that, um, remember you can tweet at us uh, at uh, PortalCastPod. Or you can uh, email us at legendofportalcast at gmail.com. Uh, like I said in the previous episodes, we really want to try to get audience engagement hear what you guys think about this type of stuff. And we'd love to do uh, follow-ups on it as well. Um, but yeah, now that we've kind of uh, gone over that, uh, John, did you have any any more thoughts on at least like kind of the Winter Solstice episode and Avatar or Roku uh, kind of introducing the stakes for Aang? Yeah, I mean, I thought it was interesting that this old guy comes to this 12-year-old boy and he's like, oh, you know, by the way, um, this crazy powerful bender is going to use this comet to get even more powerful and your little scrawny butt has to somehow learn a whole lifetime's worth of Avatar knowledge in, like, I don't know, half a year. And um, good luck. <laughs> 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 yeah. Like, I don't know. I mean, I guess he just was thinking, you know, well, <clears throat> Aang is the Avatar. It's my next life. You know, it's it's on me to make sure this kid is powerful enough to stop this because this comet's going to come and there's no delaying it. And um, I just I thought that was really interesting that Roku, um, you know, entrusted this mission to Aang despite the circumstances. Hmm. Yeah. And I mean, it, and it's interesting. We get kind of the layers for it, too, in the Avatar and the Fire Lord, because I think there's a lot of the guilt that's there and understanding that, you know, it's so much of his mistakes and his inaction is what puts Aang in this position. So it's like he's actively seeking him out and doing things that, doing everything that he can to be able to help Aang out because, you know, yeah, it's it's a lot to entrust to someone. Um, but I, I want to get into the Avatar and the Fire Lord because that is actually, for me, my one of my favorite episodes of the entire series. Um, I think that everything across the board, it's such a great 
commentary on the ideals of what Avatar strives to be as a show. Um, it has great flashbacks, which I think is one of Avatar's like greatest strengths. And they have, I mean, they picked such a great voice actor to play Sozen. I mean, Ron Perlman absolutely kills it as Sozen. And I mean, it just provides us as viewers an experience where you see a character where you already have these negative associations you know about him but at the same time you empathize and i did not know that was ron, ron perlman you didn't know it was ron perlman no i oh. didn't know oh that my God. <laughs> oh whoa. that's yeah. amazing that's amazing yeah um so i don't know what was it like for you guys revisiting um the avatar and the fire lord it's always really intense <laughs> like it's that's never a not intense because of course you know you've had that buildup. you have the warning you know what's in in a way you know what's supposed to happen but you also don't know what's going to happen because the whole like you know hashtag spoiler if somebody hasn't actually watched the series <laughs> like him taking away the fire lord's bending it's like you don't see it coming um because the you see, you see the turtle line in that whole episode, and and you know he passes his wisdom on secretly to Aang, but you don't really know what's going to happen. But I, I thought the episodes leading up to it were really interesting when he does try to consult his past lives, like guys, what should I do? And they're all trying to give him advice because naturally, as a pacifist, he doesn't want to harm somebody. Um, but none of the other avatars as far as we know, had to do this. Aang and Korra are the only two avatars we know that have been forced to take people's bending away. Um, it was apparently, I guess, something that was lost in time immemorial, because once the lion turtles left, you know, if avatars never had to do it, nobody's going to remember that technique. So um, it is it is really intense watching that episode, because, of course, you're on edge, you're rooting for everybody, and at the same time, like, you're like, what what ha what trick is he going to pull out of the hat at this point? Because, you know, he he really struggled, even in his Avatar state, to to take down the Fire Lord without killing him. And I am grateful with the way that they wrapped up the series, because um, I never would have thought of simply taking his bending away, because, of course, you don't know it's an option. And I am grateful that they allowed Aang to have that and not compromise his morals, because you've watched him getting beat down throughout the series as he's trying to keep being this passive monk without hurting people. And it is really hard. And at times it can be really dark and I'm grateful in the way that they allowed him to defeat the fire Lord to allow him to not compromise his morals. And it actually does give something for Korra too, which we see in the following series, that tool of removing the powers is both unfortunately like a bad thing, but also a good thing that, um, kind of allows it to still be a kid's a kid's like series for the most part. Like I don't mind my niece watching the series because if they did kill somebody, um, at least in the first series, I know in the second series it's different, but in the first series, like it, it, it was very fulfilling, mm -hmm. I guess I should say it was very fulfilling in how they allowed everything to come together. And this episode is a nice like breather from Ang getting beat down about his optimism and his pacifism and his um, faith in others, which has kind of just been questioned and challenged throughout the series. And this episode was a nice like, no, he was telling me that everyone deserves a chance. 
Well, because I want to make sure we're like still all on the same page here too. So I know what you were primarily talking about with yours, Kristen, was uh, in the old masters when uh, when Roku was kind of addressing Aang and talking about that, which I think those were all really really strong points. And I think that's so great that you know, like you said, he really kind of taps into him to really figure out basically an answer to this complex issue. Um, but I, I think, you know, I, I want to, before we dive any further in that, I want to get back to, um, the Avatar and the Fire Lord, where we get more of the flashbacks and stuff with Roku and Sozin. And I think, you know, talking about, uh, learn, learning about like Roku as this human and, you know, looking past this figure who is kind of just this sage, and this kind of spirit who's, you know, been in the background, uh, you know, very, you know, softly guiding Aang in, you know, and it, like along his journey. So I want to hear like, you know, thoughts are more on like specifically uh, with Avatar and the Fire Lord. Um, what it was like for you to kind of see, especially that one, because it's it is such an emotional tearjerker with seeing Roku die at the end and leading up to like, you know, seeing a friendship that starts out so beautiful, but then decays into something so like sad and tragic. Hi everyone, this is Colin, uh, your main host from Legend of Portal Cast. I just wanted to take this time in the quick break to tell you a little bit about how to get in touch with us. Uh, you can, of course, tweet at us at PortalCastPod, or you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Legend of Portalcast, and you can also email us at legendofportalcast at gmail.com. We also have a website as well, uh, legendofportalcast.com. Uh, from there, you can find a collection of all of our different episodes. Uh, we're really starting to build up a catalog of different uh, topics, whether it's characters, episode breakdowns, or our ongoing series of the Dutch Chicken Watches, Legend of Korra. Uh, so you can find that on our website at legendofportalcast.com. And if you're listening to this on iTunes, uh, we'd love for you to consider rating and subscribing and leaving a review. And feel free to leave any feedback. Uh, we always love hearing... Uh, how we can improve um, things that we might be missing or that I might be missing during the edits that you really uh, would love to see changed and uh, just love being able to connect with fans. Uh, so guys, thank you so much. We appreciate all of your support so far and uh, be sure to stay tuned for our next episode. It's going to be coming out in two weeks on Monday, which will be June 18th. Thanks guys. It is it is pretty heartbreaking in the end when you see that friendship betrayal. Um, I honestly think my favorite part of the episode is him and Gyatso. I think Roku and Gyatso's moment in that episode was really cute because, mm. of course, the last time Aang really tapped into Gyatso was a pretty tragic moment in the series. Mm. Um, I think that's actually kind of a cool, like, uplifting moment where you get to see a young Gyatso being silly with Roku, because it makes sense. I mean, Gyatso is extremely old when Aang meets him, and because Roku, unfortunately, did meet an untimely demise, it would make sense that Gyatso would live beyond Roku and see the next Avatar. But just the fact, even, that Aang was reborn 
in the same air temple as Gyatso, it almost kind of feels like a connection because Gyatso was connected to Roku. It almost makes you wonder if Gyatso was then connected to the following avatar in that friendship. And they talk about friendships transitioning lifetimes. And so that that was a really interesting part, too. Mm. Um, overall, with the episode, you're right. It is like you, you know it has to end poorly. Like considering what Fire Lord, so- Fire Lord Sozin did and everything that followed it, you had to know it was going to end in tragedy. But it is a surprisingly like really uplifting episode for the most part in the beginning. They're super great friends. They share birthdays. You know, uh, Sozin gives some grief about his crush on Time In and all that stuff. <laughs> like it's it's really cute initially. Like you almost don't want it to end the way you know it is going to. And it really is like. It's, it is really sad it had to end the way it did. But at the same time, you know, I think we all can relate to that, especially as adults now. Like, we all have, it, have probably experienced at some point, like, that growing apart of somebody that you didn't really expect to not be friends with or not be as close to later in life. And then you meet them later, and they don't feel like the person you knew. Like, I think a lot of us feel that way. And so it, it, it makes sense, especially considering their roles in the world are very different. Um but how big of how big their roles were in the role in the in this yeah. world too. Yeah. I know. It's it's really intense. I mean I don't think either of them could have obviously Sozin didn't know or uh, not Sozin Roku didn't know until he turned 16 how serious his impact on the world was going to be. Um Sozin obviously, you know, was probably raised with some expectation. Um I am almost kind of curious though cuz you'd think with the with how Sozin and Roku grew up like I do wonder how much of Sozin's plans were his own and how much of Sozin's plan came from like his father. Cause you don't really hear about where his idea came from. Cause Roku, obviously like Sozin brings up the idea of him, like sharing the fire nations, uh, culture with the rest of the world, like their prosperity. Mm-hmm. Like it's a good thing. Like I, and, and, you know, obviously he's Roku's like, uh, no, obviously not. <laughs> um, but, you know, it never really discusses where it came from. Was it Sozin's original plan? Was this something like the family had been working up to? Because it's a curious thing where it came from. Because as you see them growing up, they're obviously on the same page. They're the best of friends. They have a period of growing apart where Sozin doesn't have uh, Roku to temper him from whatever this, wherever mm. this idea came from. Um, and it's interesting because on some level... Initially, when you hear the idea, it seems like Sozin is very well-meaning. He's like, we're prosperous. We should share prosperity with people. That seems like an obvious choice when you're a a really successful nation and uh, you can help others out. But then you see the implementation of uh, said plan and it's like, wait a second. (laughs) Do you understand fully what this translated into or was this really the plan all along? It's it's a curious thing because it does feel so backwards to, the, to how Sozin was growing up with Roku. Well, I think to I think to dive into that and to really examine how and maybe find the answer, I think we have to look to Zuko. Um, because, you know, if you think about it, Zuko was raised with these kind of I- ideals of you know what the fire nation should be how to view the rest of the world and we see that in season one zuko and a lot we start to see a change in book two um because you know zuko is very much just like you know the rest of the world is you know beneath beneath the fire nation the avatar needs to be stopped and then he has to live in the world 
yeah. with those people, with the Earth Nation mm-hmm. colonies, and he has to make his way and see the real impact of the Fire Nation. Yep. And, you know, I think that that's a really good point, Kristen. And I think that there is definitely that possibility where, you know, as Sozin probably grew up and as he was kind of coming of age, there was kind of the expectation. And then, you know, for his father, the Fire Lord before him, to recognize the potential. And you think about that, of being like, okay, we're growing as a nation. My son has this very intimate connection with the Avatar. And now we're at this point where it's like, you know, he could be looking at it like pieces on a chessboard. And, okay, what do I need to do to groom Sozin so that he sees things the way that I do? Or was that just Sozin kind of, you know, falling more into his own thirst for power? Power corrupts. It doesn't have to be from his dad. That's true. Mm. That's really interesting, too, because, I, I, and I'm hoping I remember this correctly, but I do remember him, like, he does point out, he's when he's talking to Roku, he's like, you're a citizen of the Fire Nation. So I do think you may be right in a way. They could have been waiting for the Avatar to be Fire Nation and to have Fire Nation sympathy to make this move. Like, everything would have coincided. The comet coming, Sozin being old enough to be a, a, a relatively experienced ruler, and then having a Fire Nation-born Avatar, you know, that might sympathize with the Fire Nation. It could have just been, like, everything lined up perfectly for this to happen and so i mean i could definitely see that you're right like that could have been something that just lined up really well and um yeah zuko i loved it when zuko confronted his father and he's like you know the world doesn't respect us they don't love us they hate us they're afraid of us because he had spent time with song and Jin and really gotten a feel for people from other nations and you know realized that they're not inferior to the fire nation they they live the same lives that anybody does so it is a uh, it is interesting to think about how they set that all up so that everything really coincided as well as it did hmm. yeah i think the you know the other side of it too could be argued with like that statement of him saying you're a citizen of the fire nation i mean that could also just be a testament to how much that power has gone to his head and it's just like i i am above you I am the Fire Lord. I like you answer to me and being like, you know, in how much how how many times do you think that, you know, Sozin was refused anything or even challenged? And I think that, you know, what you brought up earlier, Kristen, about, you know, Roku kind of keeping Sozin in check, you know, I think with really close friendships like that, it's important to have a friend who can be honest with you and keep it real and like kind of check you sometimes. And, you know, when you're living a life that he does and you don't have that person who's normally calling you out on your shit and like, you know, being honest with you, then suddenly, you know, all that power and all of that, you know, like just everything goes to your head. But, uh, John, I mean, what were some of your thoughts for when you were revisiting uh, this episode in particular? Well, you know, I'd always thought of Avatar Roku as this old guy. And like when the episode opens up and one of the first first flashbacks pops up, um, you know, we see him as like around the age of um, the gang we all know and love. And it was just a very interesting um, sight to see Roku 
um, young and, you know, in love and, um, you know, hanging out with his best friend and all of a sudden getting this um, responsibility thrusted on him. And then, you know, he even makes a remark to Sosa, like, I was going to pack my things, but then, um, you know, now they tell me I don't need any worldly possessions. I guess I'm just the Avatar now. I'm, I'm not Roku anymore. Mm. Um, and, you know, it, it was interesting just to see him go from, you know, being a normal Fire Nation citizen to now he's this, um, you know, world agency um that is the avatar and he kind of has to leave his old life behind and i think that you know it really ended up shaping him and he was able to see you know that yeah the fire nation is doing great but so so are the other three nations and so the four nations need to stay separate there's no reason to spread the fire nation love Yeah, I think that is so potent, too. And, you know, it's interesting because we don't really, I mean, we we see a little bit of that, like, with Aang, with, you know, he's kind of isolated when he's first told that he's the Avatar. But I feel like that's one end of the spectrum because, like, he was told much younger than he probably should have been. And, you know, now, you know, we see him and how he reacts to that. And then on the other end of the spectrum, we see Korra, who is like three years old and is like already bending three elements. You're going to deal with it. (laughs) You know, but then, you know, Roku, it's like here he is living in a time of peace. He has this identity. He has what he, I mean, you think about. He has a great life. Yeah. You think about where you're at at like 16 and like. You know, imagine just having all of that, everything you've built up and like these kind of dreams that you have and everything is just suddenly, nope, you don't get any of that. You have a bigger part to play in the stakes of like the whole world. And I mean, I I love that scene of him like kind of talking to Sosen and being like, you know, I... I, I needed to, just like they told me I can't bring anything and that unbelievably beautiful gesture of Sozin giving him the royal artifact something that probably like would have I imagine gotten him in trouble because it's like he's not Roku's not part of the royal family or anything and like you know now you're kind of but he did give it to the Avatar, Avatar yeah. which is like, yeah. all right, yeah, you can give it to him. Can we call it uh, the Royal Bun Holder? What is it? What would it be? The Royal... I, I don't know what exactly the name of that type of... Like... It's baller. I wish I had one. Right? It's awesome. <laughs> um, you know, but it, it it's such a beautiful moment because, you know, Sozin sacrifices something that, you know maybe was very precious and dear to him and as a way of symbolizing you know hey this is how far we've come as friends i want you to be able to remember me with this and you think about it they're also living in an age where it's like who knows what's going to happen when they like part ways like roku's going all over the world like where's he going to end up is he going to be safe is he actually going to be okay like what's what's going to happen i also just thought that like Sozin doesn't get get to give that um, royal artifact to his son, Ozai. It goes to Zuko, who's like the next hope for the Fire Nation. Like, mm. 
Mm. Ozai never gets that. And I think it like is passed on and it's like symbolic. I don't know. That just hit me of like mm. that symbolism of that. Like, well, Iroh's the one who gives it though. Cause remember yeah. Iroh was the one who was supposed to be the king. Mm. Yes. So mm. yeah. Iroh had to have withheld that from Ozai and saved it for Zuko. He must've realized, you know, obviously Ozai made his power grab when he was gone and you know, he would, as the prince, he would have been, he, I think, I can't remember if in the flashback where he's defeating Bossing Say if he's wearing it, but he should have technically. And, you know, he probably just, when he went home, he just refused to give it up until he decided to give it to Zuko. But the mystery is, is like, how did they get yeah, it? Yeah, because they that's, get it from Roku? Well, because the thing was, that, I mean, like, dig, dug in the lava. <laughs> they, they must have had to dig through because, I mean, like, you see very clearly like the artifact rolls to the side yeah. and, and then it just like, you know, gets covered in ash. I want to see that story of like Iroh going to recover. Oh, well, I feel and like he get it in his jail. <laughs> right. Oh, that's fair. <laughs> well, I mean, cause I, I, I think it's one of those things. I don't like... want to say how I think he got it. In his cell. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> I don't want to go there. <laughs> but you know, I, I think that it's, and again, we're drawing these similarities to Star Wars, but like, think about it, you know, with Luke's lightsaber and how when like it shows up in The Force Awakens and everyone's just like, that fell out of like Cloud City. Like how, how, no, like how did that get there? But it's not even necessarily about how it got there, but of how powerful that is as a symbol. Mm, totally. Mm. No, that's a really good parallel yeah avatar and star wars it's avatar and star wars <laughs> um but yeah it, it, you know and one of the things especially for me with that episode i, I that i absolutely love the most is like the the final scene with roku and sozen um and as we were watching this i remember abigail and i were kind of just like commenting there you know there's the moment of like the people get out in the boats and there's the question like okay why doesn't roku just like you know get out like and help them like through the boats or like you know they should be fine but i think as i rewatched it and you hear the line from sozen he says i could hear it shaking or i could feel it rumbling from like hundreds of miles away i never seen anything like this so here's someone from the Fire Nation who is surrounded by volcanoes all the time, and he's never seen anything like this. And I think that it's a testament to the size of this eruption and the severity of it. And I think Roku being like, I have to take this down, but also kind of getting lost in the battle of it. How long was he kind of just sitting idly by on that island, you know, living his life not in violence? And then suddenly there's this great challenge that kind of arises. And it's such a symbol, too, of what he's been fighting against. I mean, if you think of the volcano as a symbol for Sozin and just this, like, dwelling force that's been building, rumbling the entire time. And then is unstoppable. Yeah. Yeah, you can't escape it because it's going to eventually outlive you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then you just have this beautiful moment where, you know, Sozin comes back. And, <laughs> and he helps Roku. And you think for that moment, that fleeting moment of like, oh my God, 
you know, they're actually mending their friendship. Like this is something that happens. And then it's that POV shot of Roku extending his hand towards Sozin and Sozin just looking at him while tightening a fist without you. All my dreams are suddenly possible. So good. And it's just like this chilling moment. And you realize that's even though we know what happens. We know that at some point Avatar Roku dies, that there's something here. But it's this moment of like, this is how it happens. And it's just so heartbreaking. And you know what Sosin's going to choose. Yeah. Man. Good writing. Mm-hmm. It really was. It was one of those things where, like, even, even I mean, because we basically watched it as, like, late teens and, like, early adulthood kind of thing. Like, even in that state of, of our lives, it was like, you you could take in the breadth of just how devastating that had to have been. Because no matter what their differences were, I don't think Roku could have seen it coming. I don't think he honestly believed that this person who was his best friend in the whole world as a child would so thoroughly betray him and just basically the entire world in a way too. Like he didn't just betray Roku. He, he betrayed his role as a leader. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause he had to, I mean, his entire nation basically lived under deception for a hundred years, the propaganda of the fire nation and the lies of the history that they wrote, um, you know, talking about defeating like the armies of the air nation and stuff like mm-hmm. that. The air nomads. <laughs> It, it 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 was a really huge betrayal on a monumental scale. And even when you think about when when Aang again tapped into those past lives looking for advice, everybody brought up some of their failures, like uh Kuruk brought up Ko, um Yang Chen brought up uh, uh, some of the issues she had being an air nomad, saying that you have to kind of surrender your your pacifistness to be um, the avatar and be more decisive. Like everybody had their major challenge. And in some ways, all of the avatars kind of left something behind to deal with, whether it was in the series or in the comics, mm-hmm. um, everybody dealt with something that was a problem left behind by, by another avatar. But this was on a monumental scale that of course had barely been seen in human history. Like it, it was a really big deal. And you feel so bad for Roku because he probably feels like, the ultimate failure as an avatar to leave behind such a devastating legacy of his indecisiveness leading to this kind of devastation. And you see that in the comics because in the comics, when they're dealing with the separation of the fire nation colonies and the earth nation colonies, um, Roku berates Aang for being merciful towards Zuko and Aang actually tries to burn his bridge with Roku because he thinks that Roku is still stuck in that war state and that in in the peace of the post-war era, he believes that Roku's advice is invalid and they do eventually reconcile and Roku has to remind Aang, he's like, look, the past avatars can only give you advice from their perspectives, from their failures and triumphs. Um, of their lifetimes, you know, you still have to find balance in your life because you're going to live a different life from the rest of us. Mm. We can only hope that we can help you along a little bit with what we advise. We're not going to be perfect. And he reminds Aang of that because, you know, he he really had it rough for an avatar. Like, don't get me wrong. 
Aang and Korra definitely have it rough. They have really big messes to clean up. But Roku probably feels bad because he wasn't fixing messes. He actually feels like he created them. Mm. And lives that were affected by it afterwards it had to have been weighed very heavily on him for a long time. Absolutely. And mm. it's I, uh, one of the, my favorite parts about kind of the um, Avatar mythology and kind of the laws of it all is that um, past avatars, when they appear to present avatars, the image that they choose is they present themselves at during, it's basically a representation of one of the most important moments of their life. And for Kiyoshi, it was when she basically, uh, when she stopped Chin the Conqueror. Um, for uh, Kurek, it was that mistake with Ko. And that's how he appears. And for Roku, he appears as like as as an old man, and during and basically when he lets Sozin go in that final confrontation, and basically you know showing like that like this was the most important light important moment in my life, and I failed, and how tragic that is. That that's kind of like how he is forever how he forever sees himself in like as a as an avatar spirit um you know as you know ang and cora can kind of tap in to uh get advice from him i don't know that it was i and i agree like i think roku does feel guilt and i think he wants to solve for this mistake that he didn't see it sooner but like if you do think about it it isn't really his fault Hmm. i mean it's a mistake anyone would make, and I guess maybe that's back to humanizing Roku. But, like, I think what we're talking, and maybe I'm just, like, feeling a little defensive of Roku for mm. some reason. <laughs> but I And I know he feels that guilt and feels like he needs to, like, make good and get Aang on this path to, you know, fix things and restore balance and, and all that. But, you know, if you, if you think about it, he did his job as an Avatar, his entire life he didn't have to do much but i'm sure he did a lot Hmm. and yeah he made a mistake in trusting a friend an old friend Hmm. and that was his mistake and that's not the worst mistake like he didn't yeah i don't know why i'm feeling so defensive no 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 i i think that's a good point though and i think it's just more of like how he sees himself yeah yeah yeah, and I think we all feel that way because I mean, you see it in Aang. I mean, think about Aang felt when, um, I mean, when they trusted Jet, how betrayed they felt uh, when Aang accidentally burned Katara. Like, there's a lot of moments that they go through where they feel guilty. Where you're sitting here like, oh, come on. There's Aang getting frozen. Like, he literally blames himself for the fall of an entire nation, and we know it's not his fault. And we know in Roku's case, like, I mean. He, he was blinded by the fact that this was his friend. So it's not, it isn't his fault. I mean, I definitely don't think, uh, uh, I wouldn't say like, oh, the hundred year war is all Roku's fault. He should have just killed Sozin and been done with it. Because it would have removed a lot of that humanity. And that's really important for them to lead by example. Because what kind of example would he be to Aang if he was like, oh yeah, just just kill your best friend. It's, mm. do it. Because it it is really important that they have these failures because that is what builds up the avatar. And at the same time, the avatar's failures can be good things in the end. Um, they're not always the worst because in the case of, um, uh, who was it with Kiyoshi, um, 
Kiyoshi's mistake was the Dai Li. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the end, um, with how everything worked out with the Dai Li, um, I feel like that was a little bit of what both worked for and against Aang, because, of course, the Dai Li do eventually betray um, <laughs> uh, their original leader for Azula. I forget mm-hmm. his name right now. Um, Long Fang. Long Fang, thank you. <laughs> um, so the fact that they are a bit of a fluid group kind of worked to his advantage, and at the same time, of course, it was a disadvantage, but let's face it, Azula was going to wipe the floor with everybody one way or the other. <laughs> <laughs> with or without the Dai Li's, you know, coming to her aid. I mean, we all know that she's too clever for that. So the the fluidness of the Dai Li has ended up working out in some ways because it has meant that uh, they're not strongly for or against ev- anybody. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that kind of disloyalty, while it's devastating for anybody who relies on loyalty, <laughs> <laughs> um, if you are somebody like the Avatar you know, presenting basically a more powerful character for, for them to, to flock to um, can change your fortune. And, uh, of course, there's the Dai Li with the Earth Queen later on in the series. But, of course, we all know what happens with the Earth Queen. <sighs> Talk about killing someone on show. I can't believe that, that was funny. on a Nick cartoon. <laughs> I know. Slightly separate subject, but it is fascinating that they finally discuss, decided to have that, like, on-screen, like, intentional killing versus, like, accidental deaths and things that happen. Because you hear about people being killed. And with Roku, you don't really see it. You literally watch the Earth Queen get murdered, so that was really intense. But uh, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. That was the episode you were supposed to watch tonight, and Barry forgot what the ending was, and I meant to not say anything, so I didn't spoil it. But (laughs) (laughs) sorry, Barry, because he, he, of course, he's he didn't he didn't go go into the series as obsessed as me. So now that we're revisiting it while I'm doing this, it's a bit of a refresher for him. So in a way mm. he forgot some of it. So some of it's been like, oh surprise, remember? Yeah. And That's how it's my bad. I'm sorry, Barry. Surprise death. <laughs> I had totally death. forgotten that Roku was Zuko's Zuko's grandfather. Like completely forgotten that that was the thing until I watched the episode. I was mm. like, oh shit, that's right. <laughs> So one of, one of the last things that I want to talk about, um, especially with Roku, and I think it, it resonates with uh, the episode "The Avatar and the Fire Lord," um, is the big lesson that he teaches Aang in the end, and that is some friendships can transcend lifetimes. And I don't think that's the most important. Lesson. Well, that's not the most important lesson. It's Sorry. one of them. But it's like, I think it's it's a combination of that and it like stems from the idea of anyone, no matter what nation, is capable of great good or great evil. And I remember when we finished that episode, I looked over to Abigail and I was like, that's, that is the core of the show. That is so much of what Avatar is. And you see it throughout the entire series, wherever they go, no matter what nation, like there is always someone who is a great example of humanity and a really terrible example of humanity. And it's just so beautiful the way that that wraps that up. And getting into what you were saying uh, earlier, Kristen, is that how important that is with Aang's later decision of showing mercy and deciding that he can't kill 
Fire Lord Ozai and that he has to find a, a different way to do it. Um, but I don't know. What was it What was it like for you guys to, I don't know, with that lesson? Because so much, again, of this podcast is what this show looks like now in, you know, through our eyes as we're older. And I know personally for me that lesson was just, just so beautiful and such a great reminder of, you know, just really finding humanity in folks. I agree. I think it, it, it is really important because I think that throughout the story we get, I mean, with many stories, it does get very caught up in the very like strict line of good versus evil. And it kind of starts out that way in the beginning of the series Aang and his gang is all the good guys. Zuko is evil and all this stuff. But as the series evolves, you know, the characters develop better. They make mistakes. They change sides. Um, so much happens. And it reminds you of how human everybody is and that people are capable of both. Um, and I do think that in the end, that whole episode with uh, the Avatar and the Fire Lord, it, it, it does show how dynamic life is, how people change, how things can change so quickly. And it, it, it you know, it ends up reminding Aang because I really do like how positive it is because everybody's like, oh man, that's so messed up. Like his best friend betrayed him. Like what is wrong with the Fire Nation? And Aang's like, it has nothing to do with that because of course at that point they've been around the Fire Nation. They had met those children and had the party in the cave. And, you know, it, it reminded them of the fact. And, of course, they knew Zhang Zhang, too. So they knew that there were people in the Fire Nation who were capable of good. There was the fishing village that they saved. Um, it, 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 it really kind of dispelled the very strong contrast between um, what you consider the bad guy in the beginning of the series, the evil, faceless Fire Nation and Zuko with... Um, their attacks on the water village and attacks throughout the nation um, versus all of the people you meet throughout the series. It, 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 it's such a well-rounded and balanced series and how it presents everything. And that's what I enjoy. I don't like stories where it's like, here's your bad guy. Here's your good guy. You know, you just work your way to the final battle and boom, you're done. Everybody has a story. Nobody starts out, like minus Azula, nobody just starts out pure evil. <laughs> it, 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 you know, all the characters are really dynamic. They're, they're a lot of them are so well developed. And you know, I of course was very grateful that Zuko ended up being a good guy in the end, but it's because you can't, like, he can't have Iroh with him and be the bad guy. You just know that in the beginning. It's like you can't, <laughs> you can't have this be the ultimate bad guy. <laughs> so hmm. it, it was. It was really cool watching how they developed everything and how the characters grew into themselves and, and the story really balanced itself out in the end with how he was able to connect with people from all over the world. And at the same time, you know, the way they wrapped up the story with him taking the Fire Lord's power and really helping to restore, at least in that moment, as much balance as possible. It was, I really enjoyed it. I was really happy about it. I know there were some people that we're not as stoked about the end and it might just have been because the series was ending and none of us were happy to see it go. <laughs> um, but I, I was extremely grateful with how that tie in came with that episode where he was like, 
you know, it isn't about the Fire Nation being evil. Anybody's capable of being good or evil. Um, and it's really important to be able to give people chances to, to show how good they are because they did that with a lot of the kids in that school. Like, Aang didn't go in the, there and go, oh, they're Fire Nation kids. This is the enemy. Although Sokka did. You know, anyone in there like <laughs> they're kids just like me. They they want to play like me. They want to have fun just like me. Let's show them that fun. And it's I loved it. it. It really was. It was a really beautiful part of the series to watch all those things play out. So do you so, fe- do you feel like that? Uh, I don't know. Like what what? How did it kind of strike you? Was there anything that you were able to kind of tie to your own life experiences when you <laughs> revisited kind of like that episode? You don't have to go into specific details, but... No, no, uh, no. Yeah. I got the dance party in the cave. Shut up, Barry. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it, it really did, because I, <laughs> I have had um, my own avatar journey, in a sense, with a specific perf- person in my life um, that this person is essentially my Sozin. (laughs) Mm. Like that is kind of how it's ended up, unfortunately. Um, But just like Roku, like I fought for that, the, the good side of everything. Like I always highlighted the positive and good things in that life. And I tried my best to really give that benefit of the doubt because I, I really do, you know, after the, cause she and I were friends around the time of Avatar and we remained friends many, many years after Avatar. And, you know, I really did like take to heart the idea of everybody's capable of both, you know? So a person's not inherently good or evil. Um, people have choices to make and how their life uh, plays out can really define their choices. And so I fought really hard to help highlight the positive in this person's life. Um, it just happens that there was a period of time where we drifted apart and outside influences came in and she ended up making a lot of really poor choices. In my opinion, you know, I'm not a perfect person and I can't obviously say with absolute certainty that this is like the worst thing ever. But for me, it felt like the worst thing ever because it felt like a very strong betrayal of all the things I worked for, but I don't regret what I did Mm. because. I did try to make things better. So just like, you know, Roku felt really bad in the end because, you know, he felt like he was blinded by his friendship, you know, just like we don't blame Roku for what happened. I eventually had to learn that I can't blame myself for what has happened in our future. Cause one, I'm not responsible for other adults mistakes. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. you know, I can't bear that burden. And two, you know, in the end it is, it is other people's choices. And they might not necessarily see their choices as being bad ones. They can honestly, some people are capable of convincing themselves that what they're doing is good. We're sharing our culture with the world. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like (laughs) with, you know, Zuko, it's like, it's a difference between Zuko and someone like Sozin or Ozai where like there is good and evil in everyone. But, you know, Iroh knew that Zuko needed to want to be good like Mm, he needed mm -hmm. to take that journey on his own no one could make him um want to embrace that part of himself he had to come to that on his own so there is good and bad in everyone but you know it's about their choices and what they decide to do yeah and and it all is so perfectly just tied in with that last monologue from iroh in the end of that episode. I know we're talking mainly about Avatar Roku here, but I think that 
is so much of the lesson of what Avatar Roku is trying to teach uh, Aang directly and Zuko indirectly. It comes down to that beautiful line from Iroh. And I think, you know, it's it's a really that was a really, really powerful moment for us as fans when that episode aired, because the original voice actor for Uncle Iroh, um, Mako, he he had died. And that was in between season two and season three. That was also part of the mystery of like, what's going to happen? Is Iroh even going to be like an active part of the show anymore, which was so tragic to all of us. And then you have Greg Baldwin come in and he delivers this monologue. And it's like, does it sound like Mako exactly? No, but it's like the spirit of it is still there. And as he's telling him born with born in you, along with all the strife, is like basically to restore balance to the world and telling it just it's such an uplifting and inspiring moment and it ties in everything that we've heard through what Zuko has read in Sozin's testimonies and what Roku has specifically shown Aang and even though Iroh is speaking directly to Zuko in this moment it's like it's being heard by all of us and it's just such a potent way to wrap up all of that um but, but John what what about you did you i mean did you have a any kind of similar experience in terms of um what Kristen shared or even just anything that you felt particularly was evoked after watching uh this episode I think the one thing that um stuck with me way more was that <clears throat> last question Toph asked where you know do you really think friendships can transcend lifetimes and I think we all, you know, came to the conclusion, at least in the Avatar world, that yes, they can because, you know, Korra came out and you still you see these bonds that, you know, these characters started in the first show. They carry over um, to Korra and these bonds, they're like they're so powerful that they shape the world. They shape the events that happen in this world. And the Avatar and the Fire Lord is one of those bonds in particular that's just so um, powerful. And, you know, it's just, it's odd, you know, as Sozin says, you know, in the episode, what are the odds that, you know, we would be friends and both be, you know, these powerful men. Mm. And, um, you know, it just, it goes back to Zuko, you know, having this imbalance in him. And the whole show is about, you know, the Avatar trying to bring balance to the world. But also, you know, it's like Zuko had to bring balance to himself for the world to go back into balance because he was just involved in this bond that he had no say in because he's, you know, the great grandson of Roku. Mm. And so destiny just has it that he's just going to he's going to run into Aang's destiny stream and there's nothing he can do about that. I just I find that fascinating now um, revisiting the show. That is the most beautiful term ever, the <laughs> destiny stream. I love oh, that. That that was that was incredible, John. That was it gave me chills, man. Hell yeah! <laughs> if you could change your face. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean that, that I know like that in that moment, like when we get to see. Korra meet Toph and Korra meet Tenzin and just all of these like different moments in Korra that it is that line that just echoes throughout all of it and you're just like holy crap these friendships can and I think that that's you bring up a great point too because 
it, sometimes the friendships or those connections, sometimes it's it's really positive, but can also be negative too. You think about like the friendship or like, you know, the legacy that Sozin left behind in Zuko. He had to fight that. He had to go through all of that. And basically what was left from Sozin to Azulon to Ozai and eventually to Zuko, this legacy of destruction and hate and how it takes Zuko realizing the other half of his heritage and the other side of that equation to realize this is how I you know will, like you said, John, bring balance to himself. Also, the other Korra correlation, do we call it? Correlation. <laughs> Hashtag correlation. Uh, <laughs> Hashtag correlation. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> We're coming to you live from Correlation Nation. Um, so, uh, was uh, imagining, sorry, imagining others complexly, like this whole episode asks us to do, um, really reminded me of the end of Korra with Kuvira. Hmm. Um, and Korra has to, you know, she's all about stopping the bad guy through the whole series. And then at the end, she realizes that Kuvira is not that different from her. In fact, they're the same in a lot of ways. Hmm. And it's that bond and that connection she makes with Kuvira that ends up saving everyone mm-hmm. and allowing her to not defeat Kuvira, but defeat what Kuvira was doing. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Uh, well, uh, guys, I think we're going to wrap it up with that because I think we all got to, those were some pretty, pretty powerful connections. And, um, you know, I, I'm really glad that we really dove into, um, you know, those key lessons too that Roku, uh, that, you know, we really learned, especially from that episode, the avatar and the fire Lord. Um, and, uh, but yeah, guys, thank you so much for all of your insight today and for opening up and sharing personal stories and experiences. Um, and, uh, yeah, thank you again, Abigail, John, and, uh, Kristen, uh, for joining us for today. Um, and, uh, remember if you want to chime in on the conversation, uh, you can, uh, of course, reach out to us uh, via email at legendofportalcast at gmail.com or tweet at us at portalcastpod or find us on Facebook and Instagram at legend of portalcast. Please use hashtag destiny stream. Yes. <laughs> hashtag destiny stream. Hashtag correlation. Worldwide trending. <laughs> Um, But guys, thank you so much. And uh, until next time, let us leave.